Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, we are halfway through our third major of the season. Some familiar faces still pushing for a title. And unfortunately, all our Canadians are out in singles. We can't have it all, although, as we'll discuss with our guest today, uh, a sense of optimism with how the Canadian players did, both on the men's and women's side. And to help us break all that down, we've got uh, one of our friends of the podcast, TSN's first-class reporter, and uh, I believe still the leader of Masters Nation, Mark Masters. Welcome back to Matchpoint Canada. Very good to be on with you guys. Yeah, the pl- the pleasure is ours. And we'll lead off with the Canadians and I want to sort of view it as a glass half full um, if we look back at what they did accomplish. And I, I want to start with Bianca Andreescu, because for me, I thought she showed the most promise, particularly going toe to toe with last year's finalist and Don Jabur on center court. They played this fabulous three set match. What did you make of her tournament and performance overall? And maybe how close do you think she is to sort of turning that proverbial corner? Yeah, I think she's really close. Uh, you know, Chris Chris Everett said she's back. I don't know if she's all the way back, but she's definitely on her way back. Because if she had been back, she'd win that match, match against Anstruber. Though those were the types of matches she won in 2019. You know, I, I got to talk to Christoph Lambert, her coach, a few times, um, and you know, he kind of said 2024 is kind of going to be the real comeback year, and this is more of a rebuilding process. You know, getting her back to the way she played uh, in 2019, the more instinctual style making, you know, she still hasn't been healthy this year. Obviously the ankle in Miami, she slipped and fell and hurt her wrist in Berlin. So it just feels like that has held her back a little bit. It's always a concern of course, with Bianca just because of everything she has gone through. But I would agree that, uh, that this was a big step forward. She doesn't have a lot of track record on the grass. This is her fourth Wimbledon. Uh, she makes a third round, and I really thought she was that first set. I mean, when she played pretty very well against Victoria Azarenka at the French Open, but that first set on center court, her first match uh, on that famous court in her career, to come out like that, guns blazing, and and uh, take the first set from the finalist from a year ago who looked pretty good uh, against Petra Kvitova in her next match. Maybe Kvitova had something to do with that too, but still, I mean... I, I'm pretty heartened by by what happened with Andrescu. And I know she's disappointed she didn't get through that match, but the more confidence, the more match play, she'll be able to dig deep and, and find her way through that. And she's on the right track. It definitely feels that way. And, and even if they're looking towards 2024, I mean, there's still half of a tennis season left pretty much where where things could still click for her and, and not just for Bianca, but let's talk about the overall Canadian squad who have had a lackluster season, perhaps by our own expectations and, probably their expectations as well, given what they've done in the past. And I'm talking about Leila, Annie Fernandez, Bianca, and then Dennis and Felix on the men's side, those four young, you know, horses of Canadian tennis right now, who've taken the torch from the genies and the Miloshes and are, are full throttle established top level pros when they're healthy. And, and we know they're capable. What's your overall assessment of how the Canadians fared at Wimbledon going beyond Bianca from what you've seen over the first week and a half at Wimbledon, Mark? Well, every story is a little different. The, the Dennis Felix stories are kind of intertwined because they are both dealing with the knee injuries. Um, Shapovalov, I mean, you got to be thrilled to see him get to the second week of a major to the fourth round uh, for the first time in a while since the Aussie uh, for the last year. Uh, 
but at the same time to see him limping around and then talking about needing to maybe take a break from tour for two months if he gives up you know toronto like that comes every two years so i can imagine that would be a very emotional decision for him to make but it doesn't feel like playing through the knee injury is a sustainable solution he was trying to bank some points at the french open which he had his best ever french open made the third round uh and then on the grass not much in the lead up but then he gets to the fourth round so that that maybe gives him some breathing room to shut it down. But like, if you can't, if you can't go deep, like if you can't win tournaments, which you can't, if Denis not going to hold up over uh, a period of a of several matches, then what's, you know, what, what are we doing here? So I, it sounds like he's going to shut it down. He said he would need at least a minimum of two months to, to, to strengthen it and heal it. And then maybe he comes back in the fall and tries to bank some more points and then really gears up with that off season for next season. Oje Aliassime, this knee thing, he loses in the first round in, in Paris, and then again to a lucky loser uh, in Michael Moe at Wimbledon. He, he he certainly seemed like he was looking or sounded like he was not sure what to do after this thing played out, and that's that's unusual for him. He's usually got a pretty good sense of where he's got to go. It's been a very you know process-oriented march up the rankings for him not getting caught up in the hype, but it really did feel like he's not sure. Do I shut it down? Do I keep playing again? It doesn't feel like it helps because when you play injured and then you hurt, you lose, it hurts your confidence. So everything's going in the wrong direction. I am very heartened by Leila Annie Fernandez because like Bianca, I thought she looked a lot more like herself at her best at this tournament, talking to her dad and her coach, Jorge Fernandez. They've really made a conscious effort to get more back to her kind of style, her lefty game angles, drop shots, touch, not going power for power, the stuff that we saw at the U.S. Open a couple of years ago when she made the final. So it really feels like both her and Bianca are in a similar set mindset of trying to get back to their identity, and I think they're both on their way. Like, she easily could have beaten Caroline Garcia in that match, in that match tiebreak. Um, so I'm heartened by them. But Dennis and Felix, this injury stuff just kind of hangs over to them. Just I'm not sure what the right thing to do is. They'll have to talk to the teams, talk to some specialists, and try and figure this out. Certainly not the news that Canadian tennis fans want to hear as our big marquee event is coming up in just a few weeks in, in Toronto. And uh, and yet we're used to seeing it over the years that injuries have taken out some of our big stars who aren't able to be there. you got to think long-term. Um, a star on the media side uh, that we didn't see at Wimbledon last year, for example. Oh, yours truly, who we're speaking to, uh, Mark Masters. We missed you last year with the coverage. Um, I know how much the tournament means for you. And, and despite the fact that here in Canada, you're definitely known as the hockey guy and the Toronto Maple Leafs guy. And as a Montreal Canadiens fan, I got to say, I don't know how you do that year in and year out, but that's another thing we won't get into on air, but you love tennis. And I know you love being at the big events. What did it mean for you to be back at Wimbledon this year? And what makes this tournament so special for you? Yeah, it's amazing to be back four years. Uh, my first uh, Grand Slam since the 2019 Wimbledon. Wow. Um, and we, we haven't been sending a reporter to the French Open the last couple of years. And Mark Rowe, my my colleague, uh, does a tremendous job at the U.S. Open. So he's taken on that assignment. So I the Wimbledon's, uh, it's all I got left in some ways. Obviously, National Bank Open will be will be awesome uh, in, in my hometown. Um, and that's always a special event. But to to cover Wimbledon, there's an aura on the ground. Uh, grounds. You know what really made it special for me this year? is the chance to cover and talk to Milos Raonic one more time. And we expect him to be in in Toronto, of course, to be his hometown farewell. But I have such amount of respect for him 
and have enjoyed talking to him over the years that I'm glad that we got this, 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 uh, this one more opportunity. I mean, hopefully there's more, but it surely sounds, certainly sounds like this is the end of the road for him with the way his just body continues to betray him. Um, so I was glad I got to cover, cover that, uh, and talk to him and tell that story because, uh, it's a bittersweet story, but the guy put in so much work just to get back to have that moment and to win a match at Wimbledon again after you know almost two years, losing 40 to 50 pounds, basically starving himself with a steak a day for two months, and that's it. Um, and having days where he was in pain and he, tough to get out of bed, it, it was a long road back for him. And he truly is one of the great tennis players, obviously, this country ha- has produced. Number three in the world, the best ranking uh, by a Canadian singles player, title winner in San Jose, obviously. Um, he was saying one of the other great moments was in Montreal when he got into the top 10 for the first time. Didn't love the final he played against Rafa Nadal, but he he always remembered the ovation he got from those Montreal fans for what he did there. Um, so it was it's special to be back, special to, to tell that story and spend a little bit more time around uh, Ranich again. Yeah, I'm glad you brought him up because uh, I did have a chance to watch that interview you had with him following that loss to Tommy Paul. And he was very candid in that defeat, sort of acknowledging it it felt like it was his last Wimbledon. And I think you asked him sort of about his satisfaction with his career. And and one thing I sort of noted from Milos is he always really wanted and felt like he had more, a lot more to give if his body would allow it did, did you kind of sense like he he's kind of looking back not really fully satisfied like he, he felt like he could have produced more special results yeah I mean I think he thinks he could have done a better job obviously in that 2016 Wimbledon final right. he wishes he had he had done a better job but that's a tough you know Andy Murray Wimbledon champion on his home court. I mean that's a tough and it's your first Grand Slam final um but the, the body the injuries and he looked at everything and he specialists and he he tried everything he could right in that moment um and he's the way he's built he's a bigger guy and he was competing in what look at this era he was competing in like Federer kept getting in the way at Wimbledon Nadal I mean Clay was never going to be a surface that Australian Open the year that he made the the Wimbledon final he I really seem to be like he gets hurt there he doesn't get hurt he was on his in way to semis. beating any, Yeah, in the semis against mm-hmm. Murray. He had him. He really did. I remember watching that thinking, well, he looks great. And the Aussie Open was always his best by by match wins because um, he was always the healthiest coming off the offseason. And the U.S. Open was always his worst. Well, the French, he actually made a quarterfinal in the French. My first year, there's another reason that that, that I have such, you know, fond. Like, I, we started sending a reporter to Grand Slams in 2014. Jeannie Bouchard and Milos Raonic were consistent, you know, they were making runs and it was captivating Canadians in a way that, you know, we hadn't seen these singles results. So he's one of the reasons that I got sent to Paris in the first place because without him, you know, and he delivered a quarterfinal at the French open and was into the semifinals against Federer at Wimbledon, which was really cool to cover. Um, so I, I think uh, that's why I put it to him. I, I, I feel like he really did everything. And he said he can, he can, he can go to bed knowing that he, that he tried everything. He doesn't know if it worked or if he delivered the best results he could, that's arguable. And he said, he's going to have that internal monologue, like this match here, this match there, but he, he knows that he didn't leave a, a stone unturned in trying to find the solutions to the problems that presented themselves. And he was a very classy 
guy both to deal with. And I just feel like as an ambassador to Canada, I know he wasn't maybe the flashiest player or a guy that produced the most beautiful tennis. Um, but, but he was a pleasure to deal with. And I think a really good uh, ambassador for our country uh, on the world stage. Yeah, very, very well said. And I, I think he's going to get an, an incredible send off when he is in Toronto in August uh, playing, you know, his final matches there, I imagine. Just your thoughts on um, the women's side and, and how things are unfolding. I mean, we saw Iga Spiontek right on the brink of elimination, it felt like, facing, you know, two match points down against Belinda Bencic, who was playing a fantastic match. She digs out of that hole. You know, Elena Rybakina is still in contention with an opportunity to repeat I wonder, does does Iga become that much stronger now that she's overcome a hurdle in, in Benchich and, and dealing with two match points down uh, and, and getting past that? You know, it's funny. I was looking at the WTA match notes, and she's got the fewest. That was her 18th match on grass. She just got the fewest uh, matches played on the surface amongst the remaining quarterfinalists. So I think I do feel like she's building confidence as she goes here and, and figures out the surface. Um, because we sure know she's been good on clay and hard courts. And when you, you know, you stare, you know, your own mortality and, and, and stare that down and save a couple match points and do it bravely. It'll be a fascinating match against Fidelina. Uh, I wonder why a bunch of Fidelina's got in the tank. That, that, that to me was such an emotional moment. Kind of your hair stands up when she, she beats Azarenka because she had never beaten her before. And just the emotions involved with that match that she was very, open about afterwards, playing a Belarusian, knowing what's going on in her home country and wanting to deliver a special moment for the fans there. And Sviantek has been, you know, such a supporter of Ukraine. So that dynamic will not be there in this match. Um, They'll be fascinating. It'll be very interesting to see. Svitolina has been going for a bit more. She seems more aggressive since she's come back. Um, That won't be a walk in the park. And then, you know, Sabalenka's kind of mowing through the tournament. Doing her thing, uh, and now Jabur gets through and Andrescu, Ribikina, uh, you know, Sviantek's in the in the half of the draw, right? That you want with the big three, the other two are in the other the bottom half, so it does seem to be falling into place. I picked her at the start, I just had this feeling that unlike last year when she came in with the big win streak and number one, and everyone was there was a lot of pressure on her. I feel like she's almost flown under the radar a bit this year, despite having that one beside her name. So. I picked her. I guess I'll stick with it, but Sabalenka's looked good. Jabur looked amazing today. Uh, Rebekina's looked better than I thought coming off the illness. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun final week of this uh, women's draw. Ben, who was your women's pick at the start when we recorded uh, last week? I'm not sure I gave a pick, but I, I actually did uh, an article for Sportsnet in the early uh, part of the year. Ten bold predictions. And I forgot that in there I had Iga Spiontek winning Wimbledon. So I got to probably attach myself to that one, which at this stage of the tournament doesn't feel bold anymore, but front end of the year was a little bolder. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I went with Sabalenka and I'm still uh, sticking with her, just that serve and, and the power and her confidence this year now that she's you know become a slam champion, but hey, only a few more days and we'll find out. Um, Mark, when you're at a tournament like this, clearly you're there to cover our, our Canadian content and, and do your interviews with them. I'm assuming you're watching as much of their matches as you can as well. Do you get to watch many of the non-Canadian matches? And is there anyone who's kind of caught your eye, maybe that's new to you, you know, that you haven't been able to see up close in your time covering the sport that uh, that you're going to be watching closely moving forward from this event? Well, I, it certainly is tough. Like we had 
there was moments this week where there was because the rain pushed everything back as well. I think there was there was a time where there was like three Canadian matches going on at the same time, two going on at the same time. So you have your laptop out with one on, and then you're watching the other, or you know, it it almost feels like, am I am I absorbing any of this? Like you're right. like, wait, what's going on here? And you got your word documents, and you don't want to miss anything. Um, so it, it can be tricky, and you do get to see a little bit more now. Uh, you know, you do they they do with the press seating give uh preference to your national country so you can see the Canadians and then you go and you get, you know, you see what's available for the show courts for the other matches. Christopher Eubanks is a guy who's really obviously caught my eye and everyone's eye. I think he is a fun guy to watch for someone who was not loving grass uh, very recently uh, to the point of reaching, reaching out to Kim Kleisters for, for advice on how to move, uh, you know, how my serves not effective. I, I find him like, really fun to watch i've just enjoyed his run at this year's tournament and if he can keep it going here uh sign me up because he's i think he's got an entertaining game and um i've enjoyed watching watching him i think he's got a good kind of personality on the court as well bringing the fans into it so that's been on the men's side kind of a revelation and somebody i hadn't thought a ton about before i got to wimbledon who i now think like yes please show me more of this guy yeah, he's he's certainly won so many fans over and uh, won me over when I had a chance to, to chat with him back in February when he was outside the top 100. So to, to see this unbelievable emergence the past few months has, has been pretty incredible. Mark, uh, we love your coverage over there in London. Uh, get some rest because uh, you were very gracious with your time to speak with us so late. And uh, great, great work on the Wimbledon, as always. Thank you so much, guys. We'll Thank see you in a you. few weeks at uh, the NBO. Yes, looking forward to that. Awesome. Ciao. Bye. There he goes. Mark Masters of TSN. And uh, we should continue dissecting maybe some some of the action that we've seen. I, I love that he mentioned Chris Eubanks, who is uh, the lowest ranked uh, quarterfinalist right now on the men's side. And I, I think, you know, Mike, you're more used to seeing the grass court specialists of the 80s and 90s. And it's nice to see like the emergence of a player you watch and think like this guy's game is tailor made for the grass. And that's what I think when I watch Eubanks play on the surface. Absolutely. And um, it does kind of make me think of those guys that um, not that Eubanks hasn't had a solid year already. He really, really has had quite a season altogether, but finding his range on, on grass and, and how could this not be a surface that his game would, would translate to. And, you know, in some ways he's reminded me a bit of, of Kevin, um, Kevin Anderson, um, although Kevin was a little bit older when he really hit his stride, I think Kevin was like the one of the oldest guys over 30 to make his top 10 or top five debut. And I'm not saying that mm-hmm. Eubanks is necessarily going to crack that level, but and, and he's not quite as old either, but he is into his 20s. And so to see someone having such a, a rapid ascent all of a sudden in their late 20s, I, I really like seeing that, that a player that, um, you know, hasn't given up or hasn't settled into, well, I guess I'm just a top 100 ish kind of player. And to see the look on his face, to see the belief as you can almost see him realizing, Hey, I belong. This is not a fluke. This is, I'm like coming into my own and this self-belief as he's walking up to the net to shake hands with the likes of Cam Nori and Stefano Sissipas. It's, it's really, it's really wonderful. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, there's, there's more to come. He's going up against Daniil Medvedev, another really tall guy, Medvedev, not as, you know, not super comfortable on, on grass. I think this one is a, is a 50, 50, the way Eubanks is playing right now. 
Yeah, I, I think it's actually on paper a really, really close match. I think Medvedev has, you know, figured out a lot of things on the grass. He, of course, didn't have the opportunity to play Wimbledon last year, but he looks like he's getting more comfortable on the surface, has had a couple nice wins. But I mean, for Eubanks, confidence wise, to come off a big time win over Stefano Tsitsipas, certainly the belief is going to be there uh, that he'll have his opportunities to to maybe beat Medvedev as well. Uh, we should talk about the heavy favorite. And the question is, is he still a heavy favorite? You have to think so. Novak Djokovic. Uh, mostly navigating the first week unscathed, had a big-time test from Hubert Hercatch, did lose his first set of the tournament there, and what a missed opportunity in the first set, actually, for Hercatch, who led it 6-3 with three set points, including a forehand opportunity to maybe close it out. Djokovic, we know his abilities under pressure, and definitely the most experienced guy on the surface. You still think he's the guy to, to take it home here? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, her catch threw a, a ton at him and Djokovic had to battle. He said afterwards that, you know, it was miserable out there for him playing the match. And that was a real nice, you know, tribute to his opponent that he beat, uh, you know, on that day. Um, but to me, getting through one like that is just going to make him that much stronger. And I mean, my God, he hasn't lost a match on center court in over 10 years. Get out of here. I mean, I was looking at that stat. I'm like, how is this possible? At the bottom, it said something like, 3,600 some odd days since his last loss on center court. And I had to, you're just scratching your head, marveling at that. I mean, he has turned into one of the all-time greats and he may at the end of his career stand as the all-time great at Wimbledon. Uh, You know, Martina Navratilova, obviously for me on the women's side, who has nine singles titles, not to mention all the doubles and mixed doubles titles she has there too. Might be tough to take her off the top perch, but Boy, Djokovic on the men's side to me is pretty much convincing me that, yeah, he's the guy, whether he gets his eight this year to, to match Federer or not because of some of these statistics. And I also got to say, man, his post-match, you know, um, interviews on on center court, he's just so smooth and there's no fakeness about it. He's just he's so nice to his opponents in how he speaks. He handles the questions with ease. The guy's got a great sense of humor. I love listening to Novak Djokovic uh, after after a match like that. And and I believe it's sincere. And mm-hmm. um, he just has a real way about him. It's uh, it's hard not to. I, I don't listen to most people's, you know, interviews after a match because they're so cliche. But I always like listening to Novak um, because I, I feel like he's putting in as much effort as he puts into his match, which is, I think, pretty rare to say that about a, a, a professional athlete. Yeah, well said. He's he's always very much in the present moment, uh, which which I love. Uh, I think on the other side, world number one, Carlos Alcaraz, he's shown the pedigree that he's going to be great on all surfaces without question. I definitely think he's going to be a Wimbledon champion at some point in his career, maybe a multiple Wimbledon champion. The question is, is it conceivable to do it this year? Uh, he did a great job handling Matteo Berrettini, who's a big time grass court threat and beats him in four sets. He gets Holger Runa next. Amazing. I, I, yeah, I, that, I mean, that'll be a, you know, a showcase match. I, I think Alcaraz has a really nice path here to potentially make it to the final. He's a guy to watch. And then I think Yannick Sinner also flying under the radar and a player who took Novak to five sets last year has a really nice path as well to at least get to the semis. And and how about, you know, we move over just for the sake of time here. Also, I want to give as much time to the, the women's draw. Mm-hmm. Um, and who are you liking over there? And and what performances have you seen thus far? I mean, we spoke with Mark about Sviantec, I feel like, at length and, and some of the other favorites. But who, you know, below that tier has really maybe impressed you and, and surprised you with their play this year? 
Well, I will. I mean, she's out of the tournament now, but I will just acknowledge Mira Andreva. I mean, a 16 year old to be producing these types of results uh, at this stage, the biggest stage coming through qualifying with three consecutive match wins, beats uh, a couple top 30 players, takes out fellow Russian Anastasia Potapova in the third round and really pushed Madison Keys, who's a former U.S. Open finalist and, of course, so so experienced and has been around the tour for a long time andreva just like her maturity and composure on the court is incredible uh, along with her athleticism i mean it was quite reminiscent of you know coco goth having that similar run four years ago goth was actually still 15 at the time which is just you know insane to think uh but andreva really impressed me i feel like pagula is also a little bit under the radar she's been playing some great great tennis She's so often deep in these tournaments, getting herself into slam quarterfinals and so on, that you think like surely a breakthrough is on the horizon. And she's so incredibly consistent, Pagula, and across all surfaces as well. And someone over the last couple of years that's, you know, established herself as a very legitimate top 10, now top five player and and one who's made the quarterfinals of every single slam. So uh, despite the fact she hasn't made a semi yet, you feel like it's bound to happen and that she could pull it off at, at any of the majors to talk about Andreva really quickly. Super cool to see a 16 year old player have this kind of six. It's not often we see that anymore. It's not like the days of, you know, Martina Hingis and, and having those young, especially on the women's side, there used to be a lot of talent coming up at, at a young age. We don't see that quite as often. So yeah, very excited to see what she can do next. And like you said, she pushed Madison keys, you know, quite, quite hard in that match too. Um, one player that Mark Masters mentioned, and I just want to add on to a little bit more is Alina Svitolina to come back to the tour and, and immediately, you know, pick up with winning a title and going deep at the French. And now again here at Wimbledon and look at the players that she's had to face here too. And her path at Wimbledon. I mean, yes, Venus Williams is 43 years old, but she still packs a punch on grass. That's her first round win. Elise mm-hmm. Mertens, Sophia Kennan, who's playing the best tennis we've seen from her in a couple of years. And then Azarenka as well. So all four of those matches against top-level experienced opponents. So hats off to Alina Svitolina. What a what an incredible story and an inspiration for you know any Ukrainians watching and trying to find a, a positive story to latch onto to inspire them through difficult times as well. Yeah, and she called that victory over Azarenka on center court the second best moment of her life after um, you know having the birth of her first child. So I, I thought that was really, really special to hear. And you look at some of her numbers in her career. I mean, I say it all the time, we have such short-term memory. You forget how dominant she was on the WTA circuit for a handful of years, 17 titles. I, I think there's a good argument to say she's one of the best women's players not to win a slam. She's definitely right up there. Just a quick shout out, by the way, Annette Contivate, who will be retiring, uh, getting an opportunity to play her last couple matches at Wimbledon, um, which is, I, I mean, it's sad to me because she had such a, you know, fabulous couple seasons getting to world number two. She was an absolute monster on the indoor hard courts, winning, I think, handful of titles in a row. And, um, you know, injuries can can set you back. So um, we will have to probably the- be... Yeah, to have Go to ahead. leave the game at, at at 27 years old is is far too soon. You know, we yeah. talked earlier about Milos Raonic, and if this is indeed his final, you know, go at it this summer, at least you can say, okay, he's 32 years old, right? Which, as a professional athlete, that's in the realm of you know expectation, perhaps to to hang up your racket. But 27, far too soon, and and the fact that she had such a short time, really, at the top, and and you felt like a year ago, my goodness, second ranked player in the world. 
what more she had to offer and 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 still show us and it's a shame that uh, that she won't get to do that of course yeah 100 percent um just as we wrap up in terms of canadian doubles results didn't really go uh as planned for gabby dabrowski uh losing both in first round of women's doubles and mixed doubles layla fernandez i mean caroline garcia what a thorn in her side Seriously. she has been at majors i mean firstly taking her out in singles in australia tight two sets there then she wins the three-set match in singles in the second round here. And then Layla and Taylor Townsend go out to Garcia and Louisa Stefani, former doubles partner to Gabby Dabrowski. I, and Layla has played three singles matches against Garcia this season. They've all been incredibly close. close, incredibly close. She's right there, but uh, Caroline has her number right now. I can't wait to see the first one where Layla gets it and undoubtedly that's going <laughs> to happen at some point. Um, so. but, but weird things going on in doubles, you know, because Gabby Dabrowski, who's usually the the rock of the Canadian crew, always making it deep, either in mixed or women's doubles and and didn't happen, although with a new partner and, and not sure what happened with uh, Luisa Stefani, if that partnership is now officially ended, seems likely if they're not playing together at, uh, at a slam, going to take some time maybe to get uh, into sync with someone new moving forward. Um, no doubt she's going to be back there having a deep run at a, at a Grand Slam again soon. Um, but uh, I guess that's it for now. So we got uh, one more Wimbledon episode coming up next week to wrap things up. Will it be Novak Djokovic? Will Igis Fiontek get her first one at Wimbledon? Uh, time will tell. But uh, excited to see the action between now and Sunday. And also want to give just one word of advice uh, you know, to our listeners that Matchpoint Canada does not endorse the uh, one steak a day for two month diet that apparently <laughs> was oh my god I can't wait to ask him about that when we get to speak with him this summer that does not sound like a good idea that is highly highly intense yeah we'll we'll definitely have to ask a couple questions about that guys you've been listening to Matchpoint Canada we will talk to you next time <laughs> <laughs>